This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. And it's wonderful to have Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schiffer, retired, back with us once again. Tony, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's always great to join you and have conversations that I'm sure will be interesting and um, probably a bit funny on my part because I'll be a little bit snarky, but I'm sure you're fine with that. Bring it on, bring it on. And of course, you can find Tony at probably the 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 Twitter handle that stood out for me the most over the many years. And there it is, T-Spooky, with an underscore between each one. Uh, and of course, Tony, New York best-selling author, president of Project Sentinel. Uh, 40 years, I think 40 years experience of global and national security. And you find them regularly on Newsmax and elsewhere. But... Tony, I wanted to, I think I saw one of your, I know it was one of your videos or one of your tweets in the last week or so, and it was titled, The Complete Failure of the Joe Biden National Security Policies Are Moving the World Towards Another World War. That's the starting point. You want to unpack, because it's quite forceful in that comment. Uh, Let us know why you think that um, that he is leading us towards a world war and how it's failed. Thank you for that question, and thank, uh, obviously, thank you for having me. So, um, if if we accept the nineteen forty five going forward global order, uh, Mark Milley lectured me uh, when I was on the Trump transition team. Mark Milley lectured me on how important this global order that was established in nineteen forty five was to the the continuation of civilization. So if you accept that, because Mark Mark Milley worked for Joe Biden as the as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, if you accept what Mark Milley said, and that's something that Joe Biden absorbed, which I tend to believe he did, if you accept that global order as the the primary protector of global commerce, then Joe Biden's failing because that global order is in disarray. So if, if, if you consider the need to have a global order, now between you and me, I don't, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm giving a premise here that everybody else lives by. I just don't, it's not that I don't care, but I don't care. It's, but if you accept that as the premise that this 1945 ordered, this rules ordered, rules based interaction, then, then he's failing because everything that was rules based is gone. Uh, you're looking at, uh, uh, the, the issues regarding Russia, Russia has said, uh, uh, you know, we're out of here. We're going to go do our, our own thing because you all don't like us. Putin has said this. It's like, you don't like me. I'm going to take my, my oil and gas and go play with another, other guy named Xi and, and India, by the way, and by the way, think about the craziness. Everybody, uh, doesn't want to buy Russian oil, but then they send it to India and th- then India resells it at double the price. Like, Oh, that's a really good use of sanctions. You're still paying Putin, but we're pretending we don't know we're getting Russian oil. I mean, come on. Who does this? Anyway, but this, this is the, the way that the, the international class soothes themselves. Oh, we're not really buying Russian oil. Yeah, you are at a higher price, but that's okay. Anyway, I, I'm sorry I digress. So if you look at Russia, and I, by the way, I think we've made huge mistakes with our Russian relationships. I, I think we should examine 
the issues regarding Russia and Ukraine as they are, which is a regional conflict based on literally uh, hundreds of years of tradition and interaction. We should not be involved, but I digress. Anyway, then, then we go to China. China has said, PRC, CCP has said, yeah, we intend to, to dominate the Pacific Rim and we're going to take back China, we're going to take back Taiwan, either by hook or by crook. And they've said it publicly. They said it to Biden's face. So that obviously is going to upend the international rules-based way the globe does things. And Biden's buying right into it. So those are the big muscle movements. The smaller muscle movements are Iran. Iran is a, a Persian nation. And I, I admire the Persians. I just don't think that the, that the mullahs who are Islamists are, are doing well within the context of Persia. Persian people, Persian people are much more European than they are, are Middle Eastern. And I think we've missed huge opportunities reaching out to the Persian people and trying to say, hey, you don't want to be under these knuckleheads who basically become the largest state sponsor of terror. And that we should have undermined their, their governance, not, not taken them on tactically. But if you're looking at tactics, uh, they've been very successful. The Mullah has been very successful in, in, in arming, training, and otherwise directing a, a range of terrorist activities, all to the Middle East, everything from Hamas, as we know, Hezbollah, which is a major political party within Lebanon, the Houthi, who used to be literally running around in the back of Toyota 4x4s with AK-47s, now have sophisticated weapons to take down tankers. In, in two years, I mean, okay, that, that just happened naturally, I'm sure. And, and, and so you look at all this, and then you look at how they've alienated our partners in a number of places. Uh, again, in the Middle East, to start there, the Saudi Arabians were ready to sign up for the Abraham Accords and do these other things. Well, we've completely alienated them. The Egyptians are upset with us. Jordan's upset with us. All the natural alliances that we created to help uh, settle and, and maintain stability, if that's your goal, are, are in, in tatters. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, I mean, uh, Joe Dunford, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Joe Dunford, did something called a buy with and through strategy under President Trump, where he actually used our proxies, to include Iranian proxies, to defeat ISIS back in, uh, two, in, in 2017 20, uh, to 2020, 2019. I was there. We documented in a series called Chain of Command with Nat Geo. So that's a long answer to justify my tweet saying we may be at the brink of war because if you take and remove all of these relationships and safeguards, you have chaos. Chaos tends to give give advantage to those who are most suited to chaos, and that is uh, the totalitarians who want the chaos to upend the 1945 global rules-based order. So there you go. That's that's my my answer. Well, I want to pick up on a couple of those countries, and we've seen a, a lot of different attacks. Um, I mean, you can go back to October the 7th, but November and <laughs> yeah. further on. In in the Red Sea, but me before we jump into that, the the issue of U.S. engagement because the U.S. has been very involved. Uh, we see it as the world's policeman over in Europe, um, and for better or for worse, probably a lot of times for better. Um, Sometimes, seen, yes, I agree. Yeah, we've seen that engagement, that um, interventionism, and yet under under President Trump, that was a uh, it was much less interventionism but it was still from a position of strength and um, yes. how does it engage is it simply that the america has pulled back and has is pulled back but shown itself to be weak is it american weakness that actually puts the current chaotic situation in play 
Well, the, ultimately, all of those situations I went through is is is, is based on American weakness, uh, the lack of engagement. Again, I'm not a neocon. I I am not one of those who says the first action in a world crisis should be the use of U.S. military strength. That is not the answer. That is not remotely the answer. What I do believe is that we should be a good neighbor. We should be a good partner. We should uh, especially work with those who share our values. You, you guys have become a, a key and continuous ally. Five eyes. You know, I, I, I love my Kiwi friends. I've been in combat with my Kiwi friends. Uh, I, I, you know, I mentioned when I was coming on, I, I'm now on Australian uh, TV on Channel 9 as a contributor. I enjoy the discussions with these folks because we we do enjoy a pint of beer and a, a go at sports and and having a reasonable expectation of, of comfort and, and uh, security for our families. But I don't believe we should uh, use use our strength as as nations who are invested in, in freedom to undermine the interest of others. That is to say, you know, we don't have the right to go around using our military weight to be imperialist. I think we tried the imperialism thing in the 19th century, didn't work well. We're past that. Thank you. With that said, there are clearly places where we can come in and be helpful. Uh, for example, in um, in the issues regarding Europe, uh, I think we, the United States, have shared uh, your interest in being out of the EU. I think the EU sometimes goes in directions which is not healthy for Europe. Uh, I believe we should be helpful with the Germans, with the French. We should be our, their friends. But it's not our job to basically fight their wars or, or to, to, to basically help them do things that they don't uh, they don't want to do themselves. Uh, NATO, for example, I believe we should be in NATO. I don't believe NATO should be expanding. NATO is a defensive organization that was created as an answer to the Warsaw Pact. Uh, there's no evidence right now that NATO should be expanding. As for fact, NATO adventurism, I think, has been largely the reason we've destabilized Africa. Uh, Libya, for example, is a huge mistake. That was something that that we we engaged in for all the wrong reasons, and now we have literally slave markets that you would have seen in 1880. Now back in in, Lib in in Libya, these things are not helpful. So I'm saying that while I think we should be strong, we should have good policies. The adventurism that has been proposed and, and implemented at sometimes is not helpful, nor something that we should sign up to. So there's a balance, in other words. I think. We need to show strength and resolve when it's necessary. Other times we should demur and say, this is not our job. You know, Muammar Gaddafi may be crazy, but he at least has been able to settle his nation and bring some level of prosperity to his people. Uh, does he want to create a new currency and go to a different direction? Yeah, let him go. Not our job to, to, to determine what's best for his people. And if people want to sign up for that, go do it. And so I think this is where there's a line to be drawn. And also, right now, a similar thing is is uh, the Bre the BRICS the BRICS countries. You know, if they want to go off in that direction, Godspeed, go do it. I just don't think it's going to work out for them because most totalitarian nations, especially Chinese PCCP, are not gifted in in creating conditions for prosperity. They're still communists, and as much as I I say we should be out outside of the Russian dealing with Russia, Russia still has some problems with their economy. They've recovered pretty well. But they still have oligarchs, which largely rule that system. And if those oligarchs aren't happy, then there's there's a lack of prosperity. But again, it's not our job to upend the oligarchs. Uh, the system will collapse uh, on its on its own uh, weight or prosper on its own merits of prosperity. It's not our job. But this is where I think we should not be the world policeman, 
but we should be someone who has a vested interest in making sure our neighborhood's in pretty good shape. Well, let's pick up on some of those, because in in November, there were numerous attacks on shipping um, from the the hoodies, and uh, the UK media said it was in response to Israel's bombardment of Gaza. And I'm not sure whether that was a hoodie statement or simply our media, but it, it... the attacks we're seeing, is it because of the 7th of October or is that just being used as a, as an excuse? And no, it's been an excuse. So again, the Houthi didn't arm up overnight. They didn't get these things, uh, you know, they didn't get these things on the 8th of October and then start shooting. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to respond. It's like, no, you and I both know we've been around my friend long enough to understand if you're going to put weapons that can be, that, that are used for targeting uh, international shipping, the size of of, of tankers and, and and big old car- container ships, that doesn't happen between the eighth and ninth of October, responding to the seventh. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So again, as I mentioned in in in, in the run up to this, uh, the Houthi went from literally a tribe who were up, able to politically upend the 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 legitimate government of of Yemen. By the way, uh, the UN actually said that they felt. The Houthi rebellion should be put down, and the, the legitimate government of of uh, of uh, late Yemen replaced, put back in power, and the Saudis were told supposed to do it. Nobody talks about the fact that the UN is on the side of the opposition government who's trying to get back in power. No, nobody talks about this. Nobody. There's not a word about this. Not a word because the international media has pretty much conspired with the Iranians to kind of yeah. Th- this is not. The rebellion you're looking for. These guys are, you know, Houthi. They're good guys. Like they're not good guys. They're they're essentially uh, paid militia, organized and supported and trained by uh, by Iran. So that's why you see this all playing out. It's all for better for worse coordinated by the the IRGC and the Quds Force. That's why it's you know I've said <clears throat> that's why Trump was effective. If you as the Iranians want to organize all these militias and do all these bad things, then there's going to be a price to be paid. And that's where Trump got it right. So where was uh, uh, Soleimani? Where was he killed? Do you remember where he was killed? Iraq. He wasn't in in Iran. So Point made the the point, you come on Iraq, you come to Iraq round, you're going to pay the price. And he did. It was very simple. We didn't assassinate him in, in, in Iran. We didn't go after him in a place where he was technically okay to be. He was on ground, for better or for worse, that we controlled, and he was killed. I don't know what else to say, but that that proved the point. There's going to be a price paid if you go and do things expeditionary in an expedition expeditious way outside of of, of Iran. And so that that worked. It, it it put them back on their heels. And let me tell you, most of these guys are cowards. They are not. Where, where is the Hamas leadership? It's all in Oman. These people are not brave people. And so the moment you put pressure on them directly, you put you go after the the, the the principles, not the principles as in philosophy, the principles as in leaders, they back off because they will not continue to do things if they think their life is being jeopardized by their actions. Well, everyone wants, I get the world wants countries to rise up and actually have a, a positive influence in the region and the, the big countries you have are Iran and Saudi, with possibly Turkey as well. Um, but is it the case that the US said, well, Iran bad, Saudi good? 
Um, I mean, wh- where does where does the West fit into that regional conflict to try and bring yeah. some stability? That's a great question. So it the Sunni-Shia split is something that I've talked about and that we should not be in the middle of, and that's what we are. We basically Sunni, the Sunni are uh, the uh, the Arabs. Uh, they have been essentially split off. There's two sides, the, the, the Sunni and Shia. Shia are the Iranians, the Persians, and there's been a split in, in, in Islam since the beginning. Now, the, the larger group is the Sunni. The Sunni are the larger of the two groups. The Shia are the smaller. And as the minority, the Shia have been working, I think, double time to get, get their version of Islam promoted. And this is this is the underlying thing that people don't seem to understand and something that I don't think we're going to resolve is that this split is why you have, you know, militant Islam. Militant Islam is based on a number of things. One of those is yes, that there's a belief that that they need to they need to basically overcome Western civilization. I don't I don't dispute that. I've talked to scholars on on in Islam who basically say yes. Ultimately, if you read the Quran, the ultimate expression of the Quran is for global domination, of some sort. Uh, but the other issue is how is that done? Well, the, how how that's done is because there's two fl- splits in in the in the premise of of what Muhammad said. Now I'm not a, I'm not a scholar. I would butcher whatever I go into beyond this point. I'm just saying fundamentally there's a split that the, and those two groups hate each other, and that hate has resulted in a number of of wars, and will continue to do so. We're not going to resolve this, uh, but at this point, because of that split, the United States has been split. There's been a split of philosophy regarding who do we work with as our proxy in the Middle East. Since Zygmunt Brzezinski, the, the the Democrats have wanted to work with Iran, and this goes back to after this is goes back to the hostages. Believe it, Zygmunt Brzezinski was the the, the the guy that worked for President Carter in the 70s. So so that's that's where the Democrat even during the hostage crisis and all the things that went wrong with that. Zygmunt Brzezinski, as I think he was either the national, I think he was the national security advisor to, to, to Carter. By the way, as a very young high school student, I bought a vase for Zygmunt Brzezinski and, and, and a, 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 a sweater for Amy Carter because they, they, they visited Lisbon. I went to high school in Lisbon and I was working. Yeah, I know. I've worked for every president except for this knucklehead right now. <laughs> I've got it. No, I've got a thing on my wall up there. It's a little thing, a, a specific appreciation for serving the, the the Clinton the, the Carter White House and I'm not joking about this anyway but as an aside I did actually buy a, va- a vase for Zygmunt Brzezinski a, a, as part of the embassy staff so and I regret that I I, I regret supporting Zygmunt Brzezinski by the fact he has gone you know Donnelly's bad anyway I digress I'm ba- back on the topic though Zygmunt Brzezinski on the 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 Democrats wanted to have the Iranians and the Persians as their preferred partner. I don't know why, because obviously after the hostage crisis, uh, you know, in in seventy nine and eighty, I think the eighty, you know, as soon as uh, as soon as uh, Reagan came in, they let let the hostages go, but somehow the Democrats have always been focused on trying to fix the relationship with with them. So the, the Democrats, I don't know why, Republicans have gone a, a completely the opposite way. They've tried to to work with the Arabs, Saudi Arabia, Jordan all these other nations. And there's actually been massive investment in this, by the way. The United States has invested heavily, not only in helping those countries 
develop their infrastructure for oil, which we have, but also the military. Uh, President al-Sisi of Egypt, he's a war college graduate. We have educated uh, at least three generations, four generations of military officers in these Arab nations now. As a matter of fact, uh, that's, the, that's the basis for the Arab NATO that we had proposed to President uh, 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 Trump before he became president. It's like, hey, you need to pull the string on this. These guys have all been trained by us. They probably have a, an inherent respect for Republican uh, governance, we should actually encourage that. Use them as a proxy because Al-Sisi, you know, he's, he's you know, went from general field marshal to president. Why not work with these guys? Because I, I think they recognize that they would be, that their nations as, as Republican democracy transitioned. You can't force them to be democracies. I think a lot of these guys recognize that, hey, maybe being like the United States, having checks and balances is not a bad idea, but you can't tell them to do it. You need to let them figure it out. Anyway, so that's the split. You have the Arabs and the Sunni, who were kind of the, the partners with, and the Shia and, and the Iranians, who were the others. And so that's why there's a fundamental difference. And obviously, the biggest potential damage, damaging factor coming into this is Iran with a bomb. This is why I'm very circumspect about a, a nuclear Iran, because the moment Iran has credible multiple weapons, it's not about, I think they've got a couple right now. I mean, who doesn't, right? Uh, they've got a couple of weapons. North Koreans gave it to them. They're they're basically trying to to establish a path to molt to um, to essentially multiple weapons, deliverable weapons, and they're not there yet. So the moment there's a credible program that shows the Iranians can produce on assembly line basis nuclear weapons, that's when you know as the Sunni, as the, I mean I'm as the Shia, the Sunni, the Arabs are going to arm up as well. And it's not. It's not going to be. It's going to be a lot quicker because they've already bought them. Pakistan, being a a, a Sunni country, has already produced the weapons. The Saudis are going to get. They're sitting in in, in warehouses in Rupendik. So you know, simply because the Saudis don't have weapons in their country doesn't mean they don't have weapons. Just saying. So this is what I think we have to be aware of: is that if this continues with or without our involvement, there's great danger to the world of a second arms race, nuclear arms race, which I don't think anybody would benefit from. Mm. And uh, and then on top of that, you've got the U.S. airstrikes uh, in mm -hmm. November and January taking out Iranian elements in Iraq. Yes. Um, I mean, how did you, and that was before the U.K. got involved, that was simply the U.S. Yes. doing it themselves uh, to protect interests in that sea of water in the Red Sea, which is quite essential for world trade. And what, what were your thoughts whenever you saw um, those uh, attacks from the U.S. into with Iranian militants in Iraq? Well, they weren't effective. It's like, it's one, it's, it's, you know, Sun Tzu has a really great quote I've had to use a lot lately. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. It is. So there's all these, oh yeah, we're going to go after this. This is like, this is like, uh, do you all have like, do you know what Vicks Vapor Rub is? It's like yep. a Vicks. So it's this is like being diagnosed with pneumonia and, and, and the doctor giving you Vicks Vapor Rub to put under your nose. Seriously, that's what it is. It's like, dude, you're not actually going after the root problem. The problem, the problem stems from the larger context of what I just said. There's a larger battle going on until you start getting inside to understand how everything is trying to, to, to expand out. You're going to simply be, you know, trying to treat symptoms without going at the cause. And I think my 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 lesson is this from dealing with uh, being a, a friend to and mentored by the Reagan folks. Always. Play the man, play the leader, don't play the policy. 
Reagan was masterful in going and trying to understand the people involved in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These things are all being directed, but there's a handful of folks who are actually the ones implementing the policy. That's where you go. You go to the center of gravity. You don't like go treat everything like it's equal. You, you need to go. And, and so, uh, so we don't do that. We, again, Soleimani, you go after the guy in charge, Soleimani. He, he paid a price for what he did. We're not doing that now. It's all about just trying to do a good show. Most of the attacks that we've we conducted, the United States, over the last three years have been essentially uh, superficial and ineffective because that's, they're designed to be that way. The Central Command folks involved, Fifth Fleet and the military forces that are, you know, the Air Force, they're told to basically hit things which don't kill people. It's, it's not going to work because until you start killing people, they're just going to keep building and growing because that projects weakness. And, that's, and that goes to your point. The actual use of military force without outcomes sufficient to cause a change of behavior demonstrates weakness. And we've, we've demonstrated weakness over and over. Well, then later on, you had the, the UK uh, being involved. Uh, we mm -hmm. might have provided maybe, I don't, two or three planes. I don't think we have many that work or many pilots that work. We've it's, got a it's, massive... You guys are in a tough situation, right? I oh, agree. We can't even send one of our carriers to the Middle East because we don't have enough sailors to actually I make know, it's work. terrible. But, it's um, terrible. But, but anyway, uh, the UK are probably the ones the U.S. would have traditionally looked to um, yes. because the EU and the European nations uh, don't really do anything and take so long. And I think France refused to be involved and other countries refused. So it was the U.K. on that strike. W what does that mean? Because obviously you want, you need regional stability for the sake of commerce and trade. Yeah. Um, and yet no one seems to want to deal with this problem with the us is a little bit the uk will pop up every now and then and and send a few aircraft over and then sit back and hope that fixes as you said this regional uh ruction this regional clash um again what were your thoughts when when the uk joined us and how far does that go in actually fixing the problem well it doesn't fix it at all but it demonstrates the point of pain that you all have so let me explain something I think you probably already know. Maybe your audience doesn't know as much as, as they could or should. Much of the liquid petroleum gas you all use as England comes from Oman. That's a long way from the UK, right? I mean, that's, that's a trek. So I've talked to military officials in your MOD, and they don't like admitting it, but yeah, we'd like to find a place closer than Oman that we can get you know natural gas from. And they've talked about Algeria, and there's no infrastructure there. And then they're, oh, there's Ukraine. Oh, yes. Let's go in with Ukraine and try to see if we can push Ukraine out from under the e under Russia, put it into the EU so we can get liquid petroleum gas. So I'm just saying that the UK is kind of heavily invested in that because there are specific interests in the natural resources there. And I, I, under underlying the whole, oh, the nationalism and Vladimir Putin, it's all about gas. Sorry, folks. You know, Putin, I, I'm not a fan of Putin. But it's all about not allowing the EU to take over Ukraine and use it as a resource instead of Russia. Because this all happened. The whole uh, Maidan revolution, all this other stuff occurred when uh, great gas and oil resources were found in the Donbass and Black Sea. So I'm just saying, was that accidental? No. It's like, oh, my God, there's there, these, these folks in, in Ukraine could eclipse uh, Russia production. So we want that. 
So just everybody needs to look past the whole reason that everybody's fighting for this. I don't want to go, go down that path at this minute, but I'm just saying the UK has had an issue for a long time trying to find stable and sustainable resources for its people. And you should. I mean, I'm not being critical here. It's not like I'm saying, oh, this is bad. It's like, no, you guys, you know, your people, I, I love the British. You know, I've spent time in Warwick University. I love, you know, uh, uh, going around Coventry. I want to go spend more time there because it's a great country, great people. But at the same time, you guys are being put upon for oil costs, for energy costs. And so that's part of the issue and why the British, I think, rightfully are jumping in to defend that 12% of commerce that goes through the Red Sea because it's going to affect you guys more than us. It's going to affect everybody. But BP is now backing out, British Petroleum, that's in the name. And then you got uh, Maersk and other big shippers saying, hey, we're out of here until this thing is stabilized. So I, I have no problem with the, uh, the concept of military force being used to maintain the, the commerce that is necessary for the world. I have no problem with that at all. As a matter of fact, I, I'm a big fan of Egypt. I like President al-Sisi. I've been there. I've been on delegations. The more that they strangle the, the shipping, the more the, the Egyptians lose revenue. So again, I'm looking at this from a perspective of what, how does this affect our neighbors? Not about us as imperialist nations as the United States are being, being you know, it's like, hey, our neighbors are having a hard time here. We should jump in and help out. But then again, we're jumping in. We, the United States, are jumping in and not being effective because that's the policy. They don't want to be effective. They, they're not actually doing things to win. They're doing things to show a good, to put up a good show. Oh, we're, we're sending airplanes in there, but they're not actually achieving any military objectives, which would result in maintaining commerce. So that's a long way to answer your question, but I, I you know, I wanted to get that all in. So. Um, it's it was interesting. I think whenever um, some of the uh, Houthi groups had attacked you, a U.S. ship, I think it was middle of this month, um, and I think that was after I don't know if it was the Biden regime, probably the Biden regime, uh, branded or designated the Houthis yeah. as as global terrorists. Um, I mean, what? What kind of goes into that? I, I'm curious to know why that had not happened up to that point, right? Um, and mm -hmm. how that changes things. Does that then let the military have a greater say in what happens, or no. how does that work? No. So this isn't. So we have a list of global terrorist organizations, and and by the way, this is a special designation. This isn't even really putting them back on that list. They and by the way. They've got another three weeks to basically uh, wreak havoc before they're placed on the list. Think about that. <clears throat> they're not on the list yet. It's like, we're, we're warning you one, well, 15th, the 15th time we're warning you, you need to stop it. So no, they, they, so this it, is- so it, It's a strongly worded letter. <laughs> <laughs> strongly worded letter. And to, to your point then, no, it's not going to actually change anything. Theoretically, you're supposed to put uh, both- uh, uh, economic sanctions as well as diplomatic sanctions on this, but they don't have diplomatic relationships, so they don't care. Uh, and regarding economics, they're, they're already a proxy of Iran, so Iran's going to continue to to furnish whatever they need. They're not actually breaking the chain between Iran and, and the Houthi, and until you do that, it's good. They're going to continue to thrive, and that's what my point is: is that someone, I think Joe Biden, uh, saw as part of the part their party's philosophy of trying to warm up reestablish the joint agreed upon framework for the nuclear deal, which I've argued that nuclear deal was never to prevent or dissuade Iran from getting a weapon. It was a hardened path to get the weapon. Uh, it was just basically setting up uh, 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 points in time where 
things could be measured, but ultimately the outcome after the Biden, after the, the uh, Obama administration was long gone would be a weapon. And that's what I've argued. I th- I, there's evidence of that too, I think, to justify my comment. And so that they wanted to revive, revise that as part of their agenda coming in, that is Biden coming in. So what else do you do? Well, Houthis, a, 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 a group that they, we acknowledge as being supported by Iran, we'll take them off the list. That's why that happened. And then even now, because the Biden administration is so focused on trying to get back in good with Iran, they, they've put, take, they're putting pressure on, on uh, Israel. The, the pressure on Israel is, you see, we see little glimmers of it where, you know, they're trying right now to push this two-state solution that would absolutely add nothing to any security for anybody. Yet Blinken constantly says, oh, well, this is a necessary step for, for security. Security for who? Nobody, this is right. This is what I hate about the media. It's like, ask him the next question. Security for who? Who will benefit? Because he just says, oh, it's this is necessary for security. For whose security? Because they they had a de facto two-state solution and and uh Hamas blew it. I'm just saying. So, but back on, on your question, I think that's why all the different Iranian proxies were essentially uh, acknowledged by the Biden administration and let go. It's like, okay, we, you go do what you want. And so the last thing that that Biden wants to do with Tony Blinken, and but you, did you know that Tony Blinken uh, had a rock and roll band in college? Because he's, re- he's re- redone that. His nickname in college was Spanky Banana. Did you know that? I don't know if you knew that. So. I don't know where to go with that comment. <laughs> no, 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 I don't either, but that's, I use it all the time and people really like don't know where to go with it, so it's great. But anyway, back to, to to Spanky Banana and Joe Biden. If I'm, they're not related. Well, maybe they are. But anyway, uh, the, the the bottom line is is that the deference given to the Iranian regime has given such power and force to all of their proxies. We see this destabilization. So this is another ex- extended answer to the, your original question: How are we going closer to World War III? Because the very I- policies of the Biden administration are actually fueling, and plus they've taken and allowed uh, sanction relief of the Iranians. That's put billions back in the coffers of, of Tehran. So, you know, if, if you have a terrorist and you give him money, what's he going to do with it? He's going to terrorize. It's, it's kind of obvious, you know? This is this is not rocket science. Um, finishing off on the, on the politics side, in the beginning you talked about uh, your kind of time with different uh, presidents, and I know... Um, uh, You've kind of given advice to the uh, the Trump team before. I did. Um, uh, uh, you gave. Sorry. So, a bit looking looking ahead. Then uh, Biden has ten more months. Um, of course, that's going to be uh, putting that aside. Um, how does President Trump coming in fix this? Uh, because he has ideas. He has a vision. He has strength. Um, he he knows what he wants, where at the moment no one seems to know what they want apart from damaging America's interests. So how do you see a Trump presidency affecting the current situation? So I can't think of a single policy that the Biden administration has that Trump would keep. Not a thing. I mean, this is what they're really afraid of. And they they understand that Trump has been bloodied. He's uh, I think figured things out. I argued 
here on your show before and on your podcast that, that, that Trump made huge mistakes, huge mistakes in the beginning. He accepted far too many people in who were not on board with his policies. Rance Priebus, I, I wish, uh, boy, I wish you could have been there to see Rance Priebus see me walking through uh, the White House when he saw me there that one time. Cause I was, you know, I just, I don't like those guys and I don't, I don't hide it. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not an, I'm not a rhino. So I, I don't, <laughs> it's like a guy, I just don't care. But he was, he was, it was like he saw a ghost. And so people like me who basically weren't buying into their line of BS were, were like holy water. We, we were just, you know, and it's not like we're, 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 we're smarter than him. We're not. And it's not like we believe we have all the answers. It's just, we have a contrarian view to what they want. We don't believe that, that we should just status quo and go, you know, just let everything kind of go where it's going. Because I believe status quo to uh, our, the nature of our conversation will result in world war and catastrophic failure of global economy. I just think it will. I think it's inevitable based if you look at, I see trend lines, I see where things are going. And it's not like I'm a soothsayer or, or a, you know, a, a gypsy, but I, I, you know, I have a sense for things based on being an intelligence officer and watching trends. And the indicators are that uh, all the policies that Biden put in place are going to ultimately fail, either fail us, the United States, or our allies in some form. And so Trump's going to stop it. It's like, hey, uh, you know, all this Ukraine stuff, uh, the way you put the brakes on, stop funding it. Stop funding the insanity. It's not our job to defend uh, uh, the Ukrainians. And think about this. They, Ukrainians went from being the most corrupt nation in, in, in Europe, well, behind Russia, to they're saints. We need to do everything we can to support uh, their version of FDR. It's like, okay, yeah, I don't think so. But I'm just saying that we need to examine that because Trump is. And then um, regarding the Middle East stuff. Um, and I just got a, got a note from the Pentagon. I'll talk about that later. Anyway, so anyway, um, you know, I, still, I still talk to these guys. You'd be amazed who that was, by the way. But anyway, just, it's, it's really funny being this, you know, we do have our differences and they get upset with me, but you know we we can at least talk about being upset with each other. So anyway, continuing with the thought, um, the issues relating to uh, the direction of the global economy, for example, Trump understood, and I worked with with uh, with Steve Moore and uh, his guys on the fact that Trump recognized national security is linked directly to global commercial and economic success. That you can't you can't separate it. And so everything Trump did, he did with an eye on how, how can our national security actually provide uh, underpinnings for commercial success. Think about that. I mean, who? why wouldn't you think about that? How can we work the issues together in a way that they're complementary? Uh, and so I know Trump would return to that because he, he, he saw what little success he did have in that, that, that hybridization of those concepts. So I think that's an area which he'll return to. The other area he will not return to is, is some of the things that were learned about the, the restrictions on freedom of speech done by his own departments. Uh, this whole uh, 702 thing and all these other things that have been used by DHS and FBI to suppress free speech. Those, uh, those folks are out of there who did that. And I, I, I've recommended that over and over. It's like you, those people cannot be reformed. They need to go. Anybody who's willing to give up and, and jeopardize uh, the future of the American Republic by giving up on their uh, on their oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution and the people of the United States, they they should not be in government. As a matter of fact, they should not be you know 
in any position of authority, period. And I think that's going to be another thing that he looks at is, is how to do that. There are efforts right now to examine who should go in with Trump. I don't want to get into the detail because it's secret, but, uh, but it's, there are people being talking right now about what should be done to reform the bureaucracy, bureaucracies, all of them, should Trump win. And I think, again, that's something else the left knows. It's like, yeah, he's going to come in this time and, and kind of really clean house, which he should have done last time. He should have really removed all the Biden, I mean, all the Obama and Bush 43 folks out of his, his thing, out of positions of authority. He did not. He didn't. And the result was two impeachments and catastrophic failure of, of policies based on them being in, uh, undermined from internally. So I think I think that's what the biggest fear is from the left, is that they know the game is up and that if he wins, he's going to come in and clean house. Well, Tony, I always appreciate you coming on your expert analysis of especially what we're seeing over the last few months in the Middle East. Um, it's always buying on the money. So thank you so much thank for your you. time today. Oh, look, I enjoy our conversations. I always say it's good to be with you. And I look forward to hopefully being back in the spring sometime uh, to talk to, to see how much I was right about. 100%. Thank you. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofvoke.org. Thank you for listening.